what's up with that debt relief? Republicans still can't get it right. And I know they're not coming for my girl AOC. Also, a roundtable where we discuss how we'd vote. Hey, girls and guys, I'm Brandy with an I, and you're listening to Did You Hear the News? Unity has been the word of the week. After 10 Senate Republicans requested a meeting with President Biden to discuss his relief bill, he promptly invited them over. They met for two hours and exchanged ideas, I guess, about how it's actually better to not cut a super popular relief bill by two thirds just for the sake of partisanship. It's interesting that Republicans are droning on and on for a bipartisan bill while simultaneously ignoring the fact that the general public supports it in a widely bipartisan way. Polls released last week suggest that nearly 70% of American citizens on both sides of the aisle support the bill. Still, these moderate middle-of-the-aisle Republicans would rather cut the amount of the direct checks and change the eligibility for who would receive them. Dropping the eligibility by about 29 million people. To me, this seems disingenuous given the fact that the Georgia Senate race was ran off the strength of the 2K STEMIs. Everyone was talking about them. Republicans, Democrats, the former president was saying, give everybody $2,000 checks. And everyone ran off of that. And now it's like we don't even remember that. Fortunately, President Biden seems to be on the same page as everybody else. In a meeting with Democratic leaders, he explicitly said that he's not interested in breaking his election promises like just now at the beginning of his term. And also in a press briefing, he confirmed that the checks will stay at 1400 period, although there still seems to be some confusion and fogginess about who will actually qualify. Moderate Democratic senators like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema want to see more targeted checks. As I talked about this last week, also middle of the aisle, Republicans are saying the same thing, but we don't really need them. We need those moderate Democrats. So that's part of the reason why you see such of a tug of war about the targeting of the checks and who will get the checks and who won't. It's because the Democrats already have such a slim margin of a majority in the Senate that they really need those Democratic senators who are more moderate and worried about targeting the checks to actually be on board. They need every Democrat vote in the Senate to actually get this through. However, Senator Bernie Sanders said that he felt 
that targeting the payments translated more into targeting which families would get direct relief payments for children. Apparently, there might have been families who were making like over $300,000 who would have gotten checks for children. I think he is more concerned about that than the individuals who make $75,000. I think the general consensus from him and of course the economists was that we can't also forget about the middle class. And for some reason, nobody seems to understand why everyone thinks that people who make $50,000 are rich. I don't, it just seems weird that they would cut the eligibility from 75K to 50K. It's, it's just insane. Fortunately, it seems like uh, Bernie and President Biden are on the same page about that. But everything about those negotiations is actually up in the air. We really don't know. And because we have senators in the middle, it's really kind of up to, unfortunately, what they will accept because we need their votes. Regardless of all of that hullabaloo, the Democrats did move forward with the first step of getting the budget approved through reconciliation, which is an in-depth process, and it would allow them to pass the budget more expediently through the Congress with no filibusters and only 51 votes. So once again, those Democrat votes are so important because if the Republicans are not going to support, we're going to need all the Democrats. The Senate held like a 14-hour voterama, it's been called, where members were able to discuss like their input and concerns about pieces of the bill and take numerous votes and all of that. And basically what they do that for is because At the end of the day, they kind of want a record on where people sit on certain parts of the bill. If I'm not mistaken, I do believe that they did discuss the $15 minimum wage as well when they were discussing that. However, it's not even clear if minimum wage is going to stay in the bill now that it is considered reconciliation. Uh, reconciliation is very specific to certain things. It has its own rules. So we're not sure if it's going to be included. President Biden said that very open and honestly in an interview, he would love for it to be included, but he doesn't know if it will be due to the Senate rules. I think it's the parliamentarian who would have to confirm that that part would be able to be included. So we'll see what happens. There is a lot of back and forth about the minimum wage. I think a lot of people think that it would be a sudden change to $15 an hour. But as we know, and as we've seen in other states who have actually made $15 the minimum wage, it's more so of a graduated thing where it happens over the years. So I think that might have gotten some senators on board. I'm not sure, but we'll have to stay tuned because we're not sure at this point if minimum wage will make it into that bill. And if it doesn't, then President Biden mentioned that he's interested in a separate bill in which minimum wage would, you know, go through on its own. So 
I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I know how the Senate tries to do, like they'll have to tax something on that the Republicans want from vote for it, especially if it doesn't go through reconciliation. I'm assuming it would need the two third votes like normal legislation does. But once again, it's one of those bipartisan things where it has overwhelming support. It doesn't make sense for people to be living and working in the United States and they can't even live above poverty level. They can't even make a wage that puts them above poverty level. So once again, we'll see how the Republicans will vote on that. So in the end, they did all their voting. They got all of you know, the procedures out of the way. They did a vote. It was 50-50. At around 5.30 a.m., Vice President Harris provided that breaking vote to get the legislation passed 51 to 50. So the bill will be moving forward as reconciliation. And at this point, it's up to the Republicans to decide if they want to get on board with the final number of whatever is presented or not. Once again, they're going back and forth over that bill about those checks. I don't think that there's anywhere else in the bill that they would really want to cut anything else. And it would basically be down to, you know, do we take money away from programs to feed people? Do we take money away from unemployment? I just don't see um, another clear-cut place in which they might take any dollar amount down to satisfy any of the senators, Democrat or Republican. So the Republicans can get in or they can get out. You know, they can get on the train or they can get off the train or they can let the train run over them. At this point, President Biden has made it clear that we're moving forward. Part of the reason that the Democrats are not really going to go back and forth is because once again, we already saw the last bill of what was it? 900 billion that took eight months of back and forth. So I think at this point, the Democrats are like, we're not going to go through that again. Not to mention, apparently around the time that they were trying to pass the Affordable Care Act, President Obama tried to do the same thing and work with Democrats and work through it. And at the very last minute, they did not get the Republican votes that they wanted to get. So at this point, you know, I think the Democrats are like, we are not interested in spending months on getting a watered down bill through just for you guys to not even vote for it in the first place. So they're going to move forward with that. The Republicans are whining about there not being bipartisanship, but once again, your constituents are for this. So I really don't know what else they need to get behind the bill. I mean, I understand it's a, a lot bigger than they would want to see. I understand the argument is that there was already money in the last bill that was allocated to certain things that hasn't been used. But I think my issue with that argument is look at how long it took you to pass the last bill. And I'm not sure about this. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but 
I don't recall there being a lot of retroactive um, spend in that last bill, meaning we saw relief in March or April of 2020, and then it took eight more months for anything else to be passed. And I don't recall them including relief to retroactively account for those eight months. So I just feel like that argument is kind of moot on their end. But once again, I could be wrong. It's not like I sat and combed through every bill with a magnifying glass. But we'll see how long it takes to get passed. I recall Nancy Pelosi saying this week that she is absolutely sure that they can get it voted for in the House by the 15th, even before the 15th, she said. So we'll see how long it takes to clear the House. Unfortunately, impeachment is going to stand in the way of many things that need to get done within the next week. We know that the former president lost his defense team on, I think it was Saturday of last week, and he had to get a brand new team. And so now he has two more lawyers. The impeachment managers had requested that he actually testify, to which his attorneys, which are very smart, obviously said, absolutely not. He won't be doing that. I don't think it's because he didn't want to. <laughs> I think it's because they knew that he absolutely cannot be trusted to get up on anybody's stand. I think it would just probably be more of a spectacle than any of us really want. I think at this point, we we just want them to get it over with. We're not really sure what the rules are going to be yet. We don't even know if they're going to call any witnesses, what evidence they're going to present. I feel like it should be a closed case. We all saw it happen, but we know how the Republicans are getting down. So at this point, it's just like, get it over with. Like, we want to move on from this guy. He was a terror. And we just don't want to have to talk about him anymore. However, we know that lately that can't be the case because of what drama he has left behind in the Republican Party. The Republicans continue to deal with their extreme right-wing issue this week as Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy finally pretended to care and have a talk with our girl Margie. According to McCarthy, the talk went well and privately she denounced all the things that she had said and she apologized. However, Margie took to social media and any news outlet that would have her to continue to double down on her stance and call Democrats stupid and Republicans who actually lose gracefully weak. <laughs> After it all boiled down to it, the Republicans held a meeting in which members were allowed to air their grievances. And in a not so surprising set of events, Liz Cheney was berated for hours on hours. And 
Margie actually got a standing ovation from half of the party. Scary. And since Matt Gates said he had the votes to remove Liz Cheney from her role as number three Republican, Liz was like, let's do what it do and hold a vote. To which she got overwhelming support of two thirds of the House. Really sending a big F you because my daddy is dick and if he can shoot his friend in the face while hunting and still come out unscathed, if you thought this was. And honestly, truly, I'm not going to say I'm a supporter of Liz's, but I thought it was cute that she did what had to be done. Unfortunately, the party still has a conspiracy theory problem because even after the House Dems held a vote to remove Margie from her committees, after she read her non-apology that made her the victim out of all of this, just shocking, I know, she held a press conference and once again just stood 10 toes down in all of her crazy. She called the Democrats stupid again for removing her from her committees because they were a waste of her time anyway. And I think it's funny because I don't recall her saying that they were a waste of time when she was using all of the drama that it brought up to actually fundraise. And if it's actually a waste of time, then what are we paying you tax dollars for? What are your constituents paying you for? What are you getting donations for? Sickening. Speaking of sickening, House Republican Nancy Mace has just taken disgusting a step further And she's now fundraising off of lies about our girl, AOC. Y'all already know how I'm going about AOC. Ten toes down. That's my girl. I don't care what y'all say. AOC in the IG live video this week discussed her experience about January 6th when she was in, you know, her office in the Capitol and they knew that something was going on, but not exactly what. And she, you know, was hiding. She discussed being in her hiding spot and thinking, crap, I probably should have hid somewhere else. And then at the moment she wanted to move her hiding space, she heard loud banging on her door and she goes, oh my God, it's too late. Actually thinking that someone banging on her door and yelling, where is she? Where is she is there to kill her because let's not forget that she gets an overwhelming amount of hate mail and tweets and all of that stuff coming her way on a normal day anyway. So she was clearly terrified thinking that a rioter had actually gotten into her office and was there to kill her. She thought she was going to die. As a sexual assault victim, her trauma came back and she really thought that she was about to die. However, it turns out that it was just a Capitol Police officer who had not identified himself and it was just a little confusing to her because she felt 
an overwhelming amount of rage coming from this officer and not really knowing what's going on. Of course, she was terrified. Fortunately, she was evacuated to another building. She wasn't given clear information on really where to go in that building. But when she got there, she bumped into Rep. Katie Porter, who I also love. Oh my God. But she she ran into Katie Porter. And fortunately for her, she was able to hunker down with her. Um, And Katie Porter also talked about how terrified she was, how she was looking around for places to hide, how she thought she was going to die that day and how she realized that she had on heels and she had wished that she wore flats in case she had to run for her life. Like that was her genuine experience. But of course, of course, of course, the critics had to come out and say, oh my gosh, she's a liar. She's dramatic. And if that's not bad enough that people who weren't there, who were sitting in the comfort of their own home can make their own decisions about what really happened to her and her experience. She also had a colleague, Nancy Mace, who took to Twitter to say something to the effect of, my office is two doors down from AOC's. There were no rioters there. To which, once again, those who criticize her on the daily just took that and ran from it because there was a right-wing media site or something that posted an article about AOC and already said she was lying because heaven forbid she actually have an experience worth validating. So Nancy took the chance to take this article that was already incorrect and misleading and decide to attack AOC in just a really disgusting way. Once again, AOC never said that there were rioters in her building near her office. What she said was they knew that things were going on. There had already been pipe bombs found. She didn't know exactly what was happening, but she was terrified, which is not a crazy thing to understand. And I know that Nancy understands because Nancy also tweeted about how she was barricaded in her office. And she also had talked about how she was terrified and she didn't know what was going on. But you know, the the difference between AOC and a Nancy Mace who I had honestly never even heard of until this situation. People actually want to do AOC harm. You don't have to go far to see the disdain for her that people have. So I just thought it was really disgusting that she would kind of mount up a defense in such a way to invalidate AOC's experience, to call her a liar, basically, by picking apart her story, parts of her story that she never even said. Um, I, I think we've seen that happen with other people. I won't harp on it, but 
the Jesse Smollett story. His brother spoke out recently and he mentioned the same thing. My brother never said MAGA, but somebody reported that he said MAGA. And then suddenly he's being attacked by the Trumps. And it's misinformation and it's straight up lies that lead to stuff like that. So I just found it disgusting that Nancy would do that. And then on top of it, use it to get money. Like she is actually getting money off of that. She's fundraising off of a lie that she's continuing to spread. Even after it's been debunked, even after people have reached out to her and tweeted her and said, you're not telling the truth. But we all know that the people that she sends her fundraising emails out to already feel some kind of way about AOC. They are least likely to actually look up the situation and find out the truth. And they're going to give her money because she is attacking someone they don't like. And it's just really a broader strategy that is used by Republicans, Margie included, where when they're called out, they'll specifically use false equivalencies, misinformation, or just flat out lies on other members of the House that already are heavily criticized, like, you know, mostly women, mostly black and brown, like Maxine Waters or The Squad, which, you know, it's just really disgusting because we already see like the tremendous amounts of hate that these women get just for having the audacity of being black and brown women and speaking their truth and actually trying to help others and hold others accountable. So once again, like I said, y'all already know how I'm coming about AOC, 10 toes down, it is what it is. So I think we need to protect her and these other ladies at all costs because we just see some disgusting attacks coming their way. Also, really quick before I get into my next segment, I received some feedback after I posted on my personal Facebook that I had added myself to the vaccine wait list here in South Florida. Really interesting feedback from a lot of you. Some of you wanted to know why. Some of you just wanted to know if I had lost my mind or not. I don't know, but I thought I would share um, the reasoning behind me deciding to take the vaccine. I don't really feel like I have to give anyone an explanation, but if I can help educate someone, I would absolutely love to do that. So I have decided that I'm going to take the vaccine. I already knew I was going to, right? I think for the most part, a lot of us know that if we want to get back to a sense of a new normal and do any of the things that we really like to do, we're very likely going to have to take the virus. So I had already gotten that into my head months ago. However, I was I just got to a point where I was like, I'm tired of waiting. (laughs) I'm tired of putting out the inevitable and I'm ready to get it over with. I'm just tired of hearing about it. So I have my own reasons. The main three are basically this. First of all, educated. I feel as if I have gotten all the information about these vaccines that I could possibly get. 
as I mentioned, I watch CNN all day, almost every day. That's not something I'm proud of. That's just my life. And they have taken the time to explain the vaccine, to show people receiving the vaccine, to address others' concerns about the vaccine. I mean, CNN has been holding town halls about coronavirus and everything relating to it for months. It's not anything new. So I feel like I've gotten the information that I need from actually watching the news, listening to the doctors, reading about it, understanding the technology of mRNA. That's only specifically for Pfizer and Moderna vaccines uh, so far. I don't think Johnson Johnson uses mRNA technology, but mRNA technology looks rather interesting to me. It's not actually putting the virus in your body. It's using the spike proteins from the virus, a harmless part of the virus, the part that allows the virus to attach to your cells and replicate. It's about using that part of the virus to elicit a response from your immune system. So it's not a live virus being put into you. It doesn't affect your DNA. It doesn't go into the nucleus of your DNA. It just gives your body instructions, quote unquote, on how to fight the virus should you get it. And then at the point that your body makes those instructions, the cell gets rid of the mRNA. It seems like a much less evasive vaccine that's appealing to me. I'm not a person that takes the flu vaccine. I've never really liked the thought of actually putting the virus inside of me to fight the virus. I think that if the science shows that just using that spike protein to elicit a response from the immune system so that your body doesn't allow the virus to latch on and replicate is, you know, those numbers are high. The efficacy is very high. So I feel like to me, that's enough. I understand some people feel like it was rushed. mRNA is not new. Doctors have been working on that technology for decades. If anything was rushed, it would be the administrative process, the paperwork, the red tape that normally a vaccine has to go through that can take eight years. All of that was fast-tracked because, hello, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. It was a very necessary need. If anything, I think it shows how we can actually get things done probably a little faster than, you know, they should have been done. But anyways, so once again, we're not at a place where people can decide which vaccine they want, unfortunately. It might come down to once the Johnson & Johnson is approved, it's a one dose, it's easier to store. It might come down to that a lot of us actually have to take it. However, doctors are saying that it's possible we could take that one first and then we can get a booster shot. What I also think is interesting about mRNA is the fact that 
the vaccine can be retooled. So we see that there are new variants coming out of the virus. Well, in that case, we don't have to make a brand new vaccine. The vaccine can be retooled with the, you know, spike proteins from the new variants. And then essentially all you might need is a booster shot. It seems a lot easier than having to do a whole nother vaccine. Now, of course, that booster shot or whatnot would still have to go through trials. It's not like they would just retool it and say, yep, you're good to go. Like those still have to go through trials, but I'm sure it's also going to be fast tracked because we're in a panorama. So that's the first point. The second point is this. I feel as if the risk of catching coronavirus outweigh the risk of taking the vaccine. Coronavirus is a new virus. It's novel. Once it appeared in 2019, we didn't know anything about it. We still don't know a lot about the virus. So I feel as if if it comes down to me getting sick and once I shed the virus, I now have a heart problem or I need to get a lung transplant or I am a long hauler, which is a person who still has complications from the virus after I've, you know, tested negative for the virus. I think I'd rather have the vaccine. (laughs) There are people who contracted this virus last year, a year ago, and are still sick. Even though they're not positive for the virus anymore. They're still sick. And if there's a chance that I can alleviate long-term health issues in the future, I'd rather take the free vaccine now. Because either way, I would have to pay for it later. I, I mean, say the vaccine unfortunately gives me another limb. If I got three legs, faster that I can skip off to the fun. I don't know. I just, I would rather maybe have three legs than be so sick that I can't even get out of bed most days, which a lot of people are dealing with. A lot of people still can barely breathe or are nauseous all the time. And that's not a life I want to live. So for that reason, I think I would rather have the vaccine. The third reason is simple. I'm tired of being in this house, y'all. I am t- I'm tired of being in this house. And I'm tired of even when I get out of the house, I feel so restricted by the fact that there's a deadly virus that could kill me just from going grocery shopping or going out to eat with friends. I miss my family. I miss my friends. I want to be able to see them, touch them, thump them, all of that. Like I want to get back to a semblance of normal because I need that. And I see 
many of the healthcare workers or just senior citizens when they get their vaccine, they talk about how free and how much relief they feel at the fact that they have some sort of protection. They have another layer of protection on top of the mask and the social distancing because we'll still need to do that for some time. But they, they just have a little protection just in case they go to the grocery store and they touch the wrong thing or they forget to not put their finger on their face. They feel like they have the protection that they need to live somewhat of a normal life. So I want that. Call me crazy. Call me naive. Call me whatever you want to call me. But I want that relief. I want that feeling. So those are my reasons for taking the vaccine. Once again, I'm not a doctor. Make sure you talk to your doctors. I have spoken to mine. I know what is going to work for me, but what works for me is not for everyone else. I understand that. Whatever you decide to do is on you and that's fine. I'm not trying to convince anybody, but those are my reasons and I'm going to do what I have to do for me. So I want y'all to be healthy. I want y'all to be safe. Stay safe. Remember, the vaccine is not the end all be all. Even if you do get it, you still have some time before you hit full efficacy. The vaccine doesn't keep you from contracting the virus, but it is supposed to keep you from getting deathly ill. And if I can prevent that, then that seems like enough for me. So thanks for listening to that. And now I'm really excited because I have my first podcast roundtable with two lovely ladies. I'm so excited for you guys to hear. Today, I'm joined by Letty Shoemate and Anna Wilson. Letty is a historian, educator, facilitator, and podcast host living in Wilmington, North Carolina, where my alma mater is. Go Seahawks. She has two masters, one in history and another in conflict management and resolution. She's the host of her own podcast, Sincerely Letty, where she educates about history and bridges the past to the present, discusses racial and social issues, and she does not hold back the truth. So I'm super excited to have her here. And I'm also excited to have Anna Wilson here. She is a campaign staffer, nonprofit professional, and progressive activist who worked in the general election for the Biden campaign and on the ground in the Georgia runoff, making me super jealous seeing her out with John Ossoff and Warnock and eating all that good food down in Georgia. All right, ladies. So thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to have you here on my first roundtable for Did You Hear the News? And every week, I feel like I say it's a wild one, but every week it's really wild. (laughs) I don't understand. And we do have a lot of carryover um, from the last few weeks just because of the drawn out drama of everything uh insurrection impeachment all of that but the biggest deal for the last two weeks has kind of been like this marjorie taylor green drama and all the fallout in the republican party and what's going on so for this little segment we're going to play a little game called yay or nay 
because there have been there's been so much voting going on the past few weeks. I want to know how you guys would vote and why. So for this first topic with um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, as everyone knows, before she got elected and probably after, she said some very wild things. She did some very wild things. She denied that a a plane even hit the Pentagon. She denied uh, Sandy Hook and Parkland, which Anna can attest down here in South Florida. Like Parkland is very serious and the anniversary is coming up and you feel it all in the community around that time. She harassed one of the survivors. She said that wildfires were started by Jewish lasers. She said uh, just a plethora of many crazy things. And the Republican party kind of just didn't really want to do anything about it. Once it got down to it, Kevin McCarthy had a talk with her, but he decided not to do anything. He already knew that the Democrats had already decided that they were going to basically hold a vote if he didn't do anything. So he didn't. He didn't do anything. He claimed that when they talked, she was super apologetic. But then, like, every time she did something with them, she went to social media or to the media and said the complete opposite, called Democrats stupid and all of that stuff. So I want to know, because what we keep hearing is unprecedented, unprecedented. It would be an unprecedented move um, for the Democrats to actually be the ones to hold the vote for her to be removed from her committees. I want to know, in that situation, if you were... Democrat or Republican, how would you have voted in in that vote? Lady, we'll start with you. Um, she needs to go. Like <laughs> that's just that's that's it. Like, and I absolutely would have voted Democrat. This is something that has been seen in history in a way. As mm-hmm. well, but I'm going to mm-hmm. stop right there because I know that we're going to get into that. Yeah, but, absolutely. So, Anna, yeah. what would you have done? Uh, completely agree with Letty. Uh, <laughs> I would have voted for her to go. Uh, what I think is unprecedented is for us to allow her to stay on her committees mm-hmm. after all the things that she's done. Right. You know, from from what she did with the Parkland survivors, talking about the lasers, uh, saying that the results of the election were false, and she wanted to, yeah, it's just so much. It's yeah. just letting that go without some kind of punishment, I think that would set like a really bad precedent. Exactly. And I agree. And I also would have voted yay. But I guess my question is, what do you say when um, Republicans or even other people on the outside say, well, you know, the president hears that uh, Republicans later on down the road when they have power, they can basically do the same thing. They can hold a vote to, um, you know, move a Democrat off of their committees. Like, what do you say to that? Um, so I would say 
the Republican Party is not in a good place right now. The radical right was always there. We know that. But now Mm -hmm. they have become like the face of the party. And there's a thing called personal responsibility. We all know right from wrong. And clearly she is in the wrong. If this is how they want their party to look with, you know, centering Trumpism and being the radical right for America to look crazy in the face of the rest of the world, then I get why they don't want to vote to remove her from her committees. But if Mm -hmm. they actually want for like the international community to look at the country as like, you know, a functioning democracy, then uh, you have to vote to remove her from her committees. I mean, everything that she's doing, everything that the Republican Party is doing right now, I feel like it's very anti-democratic and it's like everything that we're against as a country, uh, political parties aside, I feel like the country as a whole, it's not what we stand for. So yeah, that's what I would tell them, you know, if I was in that position. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with Anna whenever it comes to like personal responsibility, because I was thinking of what accountability is. And I also cannot help but think too about the fact that what she did is what often, I'm just going to go here, um, (laughs) what we've seen happen throughout history is whenever white women uphold patriarchy and they do it in spite of themselves every Mm -hmm. single time. And it happens often in the Republican Party, absolutely. And I mean, throughout history, people can say, oh, but but this is how Democrats were throughout history. Well, the Democrats were the Republicans. So yeah. <laughs> like, switched. okay, let's just get the history right. People, right. right. And so that's what is honestly in, in the forefront of my mind, because yeah, they can like go down the road and try to say, oh, well, Democrats can hold a vote like this too. And it's like, yeah, but you can't sit here and in this moment, whenever this is happening and you have a woman who is going with conspiracy theories and doing all of this harm and say, oh, but down down the road, it's always that, right? Right. There's always an excuse to not hold someone accountable in this Mm -hmm. country. And if the Republican Party uh, wants to do something, truly wants to do something to change what we've seen them be the last Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. five, six years, then they need to hold her accountable and not just do things like, oh, I'm just going to have a talk with her. And I thought it was funny because uh, Nancy did come out and do like a little press conference before they did the vote. And um, Manu Raju at CNN did ask her like, do you think this is a dangerous precedent? And she just like totally, she was like, like if somebody in the Democratic Party was threatening violence against other reps, they'd be gone. We would do it. We would remove them. And I just, I think it's crazy that we continue. I mean, even with the impeachment, we hear precedent, precedent. But it's like, when have the Republicans ever needed an excuse to not do some like shady, underhanded stuff? I can't think of a time, honestly. So I'm like, if it's something that they want to do, they're going to do it. And especially to stay in power and to go back to what you were saying, Liddy, it it does feel like that far right wing is becoming more dominant. I just think it's going to be really interesting to see like where they go from here. 
because you can you can clearly see that the minority leader Kevin McCarthy is trying to he's trying to feed both sides, you know, with n- not necessarily going against Liz, but barely defending her and then just kind of like letting Marjorie slide. No, that actually makes me think about Mitch McConnell whenever he he called um Marjorie, was it it wasn't crazy. It was like loony. Loony. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loony conspiracies and lies. Yeah. Right. But like, he didn't even use her name. Right. right. Like, and right. I think that people need to understand that and actually, because it's, it's these small things that are actually huge because right. the fact that he didn't name her, like, yeah, he's still not wanting to do like to get on her bad side in a right. way, but he wants right. to appease the other people. Right. And so, yeah. but it's just what like you were saying. Honestly, even about Kevin, like trying to play both sides of this mm-hmm. and it's really exhausting, honestly, yeah. <laughs> because people are, are like, and, and this too goes to why, and, and really Brandy, you've posted about this a lot about mm-hmm. the harm of thinking that because Trump is no longer in the White House, that all of this goes away when that right. is absolutely not true because we still absolutely. see it happening, right? Yeah. 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 And she's like, she's definitely the uh, embodiment of that because I do remember us going, we can't wait for January 20. We can't wait. We can't wait. But still knowing in the back of our minds that like just because he leaves doesn't mean he Mm -hmm. hasn't left everything in shambles, like everything. Mm -hmm. So can I also add to that what you guys are saying about them playing both sides? Mm -hmm. I feel like over like the last six years, a lot of people have done that. And now ever since the insurrection and the Capitol, more people are, they're trying to like say, yeah, yeah, this is wrong. But, you know, we all know where, where it was coming from, what led mm-hmm. to it. But I think we've kind of seen that they can't really rein in these people that mm-hmm. they've already radicalized. If people don't step up, like in the Republican Party, right, they're not going to be able to like purge these radical yeah. folks. I mean, they've always been there. Trump just allowed them to like become the face of the Republican Party. And for people like Mitch McConnell, you know, I have no hope that that man will ever do <laughs> what is right. <laughs> people like Marco Rubio. These people will never do what's right for exactly. people like us living in Florida. God help I, us. <laughs> just but trying to I, make it down here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough, but I just I just don't see like how they're gonna purge all these people that have been radicalized. Yeah. And, but I do have hope because we did vote for a new president mm-hmm. back in 2016. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought Trump was gonna win again. Yeah, but clearly, you know, he didn't. So that's good. But yeah, and I I agree. But I did say last week. I think the reason that they won't come out is because they have to say, and I was involved too. You know, like they can't come out and say, "Listen, you've been lied to. The election wasn't stolen." Q isn't real. The Democrats aren't, you know, because then they'd have to say you were lied to. And I was one of the ones that was lying to you. I was one of the ones who was perpetuating these falsities and they don't want to take accountability. And it, 
they don't take accountability. There's no accountability for the former president. And then it's even harder for us to move past these fringe groups because every time they tap dance around them and not condemning them, they take that as they condone it. Like they're like, yeah, they're on our side. Like anytime they they say, we we don't know who QAnon is. I don't know. You know, they they think that's cool. Like a CNN had a a clip where one of their reporters actually went to a QAnon meeting like a few weeks before the insurrection. And guess who was there? Surprise, surprise. QAnon shaman wearing his fur and his face paint like weeks before the the Mm -hmm. insurrection. Mm -hmm. And it was right after the... I think it was the second debate was supposed to happen, but you know, the former president had gotten uh, COVID and he refused to get a COVID test. So they had the separate ones. And in that town hall, Samantha Guthrie was trying to get him to disavow QAnon and he did not do that. And they played that clip and that to them said like, yes, like he supports us because he he wouldn't... Exactly, because they support him. Yeah, exactly. Those Mm -hmm. people that they won't be accountable because they have to admit fault. They have to say, I was lying to you. I also think a lot of people want to get reelected. Elections Mm -hmm. are coming Mm -hmm. up in 2022, and Trump really has a lot of political power still. So I think. You know, that's like a big part of it, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're they're probably saying, you know, if I say I lied to the people and lied about the election being stolen, I might not get reelected when Mm -hmm. it's time for elections because, you know, Trump won't endorse me or something like that. So I think that's like also a big part of it. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up elections because our (laughs) second topic has to do with voting and elections. So there have been, I think, about 18 states since the election who have started dropping bills, like new voting bills with restrictions. And I just thought it was so funny that Georgia is also uh, one of those states who is doing the same thing. So part of their bill... They want to get rid of no excuse, absentee voting. A lot of us didn't know a lot of things about elections and how the government works until the past four years when we actually had to pay attention, unfortunately. But (laughs) apparently Georgia always had the option to just request an absentee ballot. There was no rhyme or reason. If you wanted one, you could get one. Um, And a lot of us didn't know that. I had no idea how Georgia was running their elections. I barely knew how my state was running their elections. So they want to get rid of that um, and make it so that you have to be 75 plus disabled and stuff like that. They don't want to have drop boxes anymore. Just weird stuff. And they also want to get rid of the option, you know, like a lot of the time when you, um, go and change your license or, you know, you go to the DMV or whatever, you can update your voter registration through uh, those websites and, you know, at the DMV if you want to. If you're changing your address, you can also elect to change it on your voter registration. They want to cut that out. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I just, <laughs> I just find it like kind of insane the methods that they would go to to get reelected. So, yay or nay, would you vote for these kind of restrictions on um, voting? No, you can go first. (laughs) Oh my God, it's the voter suppression for me. Right. (laughs) I can't. I was was actually, I think like a couple of hours, I got a notification from CNN about this whole story. And I was like, here Mm -hmm. we go again. Yeah, definitely a no for me. Um, (laughs) Definitely no. Because, I mean, for obvious reasons. Right. And two, because I just... Anything with Georgia, okay, definitely the like South, right? Like the right. <laughs> really the whole country, right? Mm-hmm. But whenever I think about things, my historian brain is always like, oh yeah, because if people understood Georgia's history and Georgia's history with voting issues, it, oof, my gosh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is why um, everything that's happened in Georgia, Georgia the last two years has been historic. Truly, right. it has, and it's had so much meaning. Because, and honestly, with these absentee voting uh, changes, Mm -hmm. it's because they're mad. They are angry because Mm -hmm. Black people, Black women organized and flipped the state. Mm -hmm. And they are furious because, well, oh my gosh, you're threatening our white supremacy. Let's pop off. And that's what's happening right now. And it's just really unfortunate as well. For me, and maybe this is just me, but whenever people think that this stuff is very new, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not new. Um, and like like you said, Brandy, uh, many people did not know how the government worked until, yeah, like 2015, 2016, because mm-hmm. people were like, oh, let's, let's really pay attention. And it's just important for people to read things like this, to like read all of the changes that like they want to make and what it's going to affect because they expect people to not do that, right? right like they right. expect people to not be educated, <laughs> but jokes on them, uh, <laughs> right? So yeah, definitely a no for me. Well, what do you say about the people like the Lieutenant Governor who said, well, we just, we don't want a repeat of what happened this year and people bringing doubt into our elections. Like, what do you say about that? Anna, you are on the ground in Georgia, especially for the the runoff. Like, what do you say to that? So we know that like in 2020, um, mail-in voting was expanded because of the pandemic. I feel like Republicans are scared. <laughs> they're scared about 2022. They're scared about the next presidential election. And they're saying that these bills were introduced to like restore integrity. But there was never any doubt about that. Mm-hmm. We've heard time and time again from, you know, people that study this. There was no fraud in the election. Mm-hmm. Everything was on the up and up. So I feel like they're scared. They're saying this, that this is particularly going to affect, you know, people that are black and brown. Mm-hmm. In states like Georgia, where we saw how those people actually showed up and got Biden the presidency and they flipped those two Senate seats. Also, the Asian American uh, and Pacific Islander community, those people really showed up in Georgia as well. And I think these restrictions are going to affect those people. And right. those are the people that gave us these seats. So that's what Republicans are trying to do. You know, 
a lot of these people that, you know, were at the insurrection, these people didn't vote, which is insane. You're going right. to the Capitol. <laughs> you don't want them to certify the election, but you didn't even vote in the election, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is crazy. And that's another thing that Donald Trump did. One of my friends actually got an email from a conservative group saying not to vote in the election. Instead, go to the Capitol because they're going to have their thing. And I'm just like, how does that make sense? If you want, <laughs> if you want to win those two Senate seats, why are you telling people not to vote? I guess that was a part of their plan. They're saying it doesn't matter if we were to legitimately win those seats because they're going to overthrow, uh, you know, the, the government at the Capitol to get the rightful results that they, they were seeking out. But I just think it's another way to disenfranchise uh, certain communities. And yeah. I feel like we really need to hunker down, especially with, you know, uh, the redistricting that's going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's going to play another huge part. I th- 2022 is going to be a tough year for, for Democrats. Yeah. I feel like we can go on about that for days, but I think we should get to my favorite topic. The one that I have been following since anybody ever whispered the idea. <laughs> Student loan debt forgiveness. Let's Please talk take about it. Away. it. Let's talk about it. So Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren have been on this for a long time. Um, Bernie brought it up way back. I think he had introduced the bill with some support, but Chuck and uh, Elizabeth Warren have really been pushing President Biden to do it with an executive action. They say he can, he can get rid of at least 50K, which I think we all agree is better than 10K. 10K is nothing. I have personally paid almost $14,000 since I graduated college in 2011. 600 of that has gone to the principal of my loan. Mm -hmm. Crying. And my balance is still the very same as it was when I graduated college in 2011. 10 years ago. 10 years this a May. decade, a I whole look, decade. I don't even look at my student loan balance anymore. Because <laughs> I, I definitely so don't. I graduated in 2018, so for like the first, you know, trying to find a job for like the first mm-hmm. couple months, I did the income based mm-hmm. repayment, mm-hmm. and my loan balance was going up. Mm-hmm. By like the mm-hmm. third month, I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> I was yeah. like, Oh, I, I have to pay more because yeah. you have to pay. You <laughs> so have to pay an astronomical amount a yeah, month it's, it's like to make a dent. Right. Yeah. And you have to pay rent. In, and it's not Florida. like any other type of loan in which, mm-hmm. you know, it's fixed. Like you get a car or like a mortgage and you basically know how much your interest is and it's, broken out over the life of the loan to the point where you know you have a fixed payment every month and after a certain amount of payments you're done right but not with student loan debt and i think people don't 
understand that. Right. You just don't no. understand how this works. No, like people don't get it. And it's, this is something I talk about all the time because also another thing that's, I feel like not talked about enough is people want to compare different degrees and what mm-hmm. certain people could do. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got loans for everything in undergrad mm-hmm. because my parents were like, you want to go to school? You got to figure out how to pay for it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, like the lack of financial literacy ish. But also, like, my my parents have always been very good with money, but I was kind of rebellious. So, I mean, I was also like eighteen, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But then it's like getting my MA in history. I didn't have time to work. Mm-hmm. Like it was literally like a PhD program. Like it it was. You don't go to sleep sometimes. You have to read eight books a week. Like it was no. Wow. And so I was a graduate teaching assistant. People are like, oh, but you could still make money. Yeah, like $700 a month and you right. rent in Wilmington, North Carolina, first of all. That's not even right. Um, <laughs> and also it's just like, that's a joke. And so I was getting loans for everything and they're federal right. loans. And yeah. so after I graduated, I didn't get a job with the job that I wanted. And so right. I had to do the income-based payment. Yep. And I did. And nothing moved. <laughs> and I went back to grad school and I'm like, well, because I want to do like what I want to do. And at that point, I was like, listen, I'm never going to pay any of these like loans back. Yeah. And people don't understand the right, like how it works. Like, yeah, right. there's an interest rate, but it mm-hmm. continuously accrues. And there's also the people that say, oh, well, you should have made smarter decisions. And I'm like, well, tell me about all your smart decisions you made at 22. Right. And, and also, all the terms yeah. and conditions that you read all the way through. And also, like, there's two things, too, that I share with people. I'm very transparent about with people is buying a home. Y'all, first of all, they go for blood trying to get a house anyway. <laughs> like, they want to know what job you had 10 years ago. Like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, My husband has no student loan debt. And so he was able to sign for our house. I'm 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 gonna share all this freely on here. Yeah. Because people need to Teacher hear your fellows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. Yeah. And um, because whenever I like whenever we were trying to get a home, not even for a lot of money, it wasn't even a lot of money. I honestly mm. I went to go with him to like do all the stuff and yeah. And they're like, well, your debt to income ratio is off. And I'm like, well, who makes six figures here? Like, right. that's the debt I'm in. And so it didn't matter that I was working a full-time job and teaching part-time as an mm-hmm. adjunct professor. It didn't mm-hmm. matter. It didn't matter because my debt to income ratio was too high. Like, it, it right. was off, right? And so basically, we had to pretend that I didn't even exist for him to sign for the home. Luckily, we we weren't married yet. Right, like, yeah. But it's stuff like that that people don't know. And so yeah. you don't find out until you go into it. And so also, and then this, I have a, um, a state loan through the College Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And whenever you pay the minimum, that minimum sometimes is not the unaccrued or is not the accrued interest, not all right. of it. So oh. it affects your credit score and people <sighs> don't know that. And oh. so, yeah, people don't even understand that. And it happened to me a few years ago and I was like, wait, why did my credit karma to say my score went down? Right. And it was because you can pay the minimum to them. 
Mm-hmm. And, and granted, this is just like college foundation of like North right. Carolina. Nothing against them. I mean, they don't mm-hmm. make the rules for how the state chooses to do this. But right. it was like, oh, okay, you're making your minimum. But there's some accrued interest still that you didn't pay. So mm-hmm. you need to do that too. So it's like the credit bureaus pick up something different. Mm. Even if you're in the clear with the loan companies, right? And so there's all this fine print that people didn't even explain to us. And it's funny that they said, I think with the, if you just do the 50, 50K, yeah. that would get rid of, I think they said like 80% of the people that are holding loans, like yeah. that get rid of all of their debt. That yeah. was the way my- million people. Yes. Yeah. And mostly black and brown and women. That's like another thing I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. Like imagine having like a public service job or, you know, and your loans are supposed to be forgiven in that 10 years and it doesn't happen. Right. And that's like the reason for you going into that industry. Yeah, exactly. Which don't, you know, historically don't pay. On the higher well. scale. Exactly. But you're thinking it's going to even yeah. out because. Exactly. Like you said earlier, you know, it's black and brown people mm-hmm. that are, that would mostly benefit from this, mm-hmm. which I think that shows a lot. It shows us a lot of why there's so much pushback, of, you know, why uh, the government shouldn't forgive loans. But, yeah. you know, we've seen over the years, uh, student loan it's been like predatory, predatory mm-hmm. lending towards people. It's not the best system. I wish we could make that argument for conservatives, but you know, it's right. hard to strike reason with, mm-hmm. with a lot of those people. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you guys so much for joining my first round table. This has been an excellent talk. I really appreciated it. So thank you ladies for being here with me on Digi. Having me. Yeah, thank you for having me.